Welcome to the podcast from Church of the Nazarene. Please subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. And you can also search for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. We also invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 on our YouTube channel. You can also join us in person at 9 or 1030 for our English services or 1145 for our Spanish service. We also invite you to join Celebrate Recovery every Monday night at 630. Thanks for listening. As we open the word together, uh, I want to begin with one of the most important words that were ever spoken to me. And, and the truth is that one of the most important words ever spoken to me wasn't easy to hear. It wasn't at all what I wanted to hear, but I can see now it's really what I needed to hear. I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that in your life. I was a young pastor, young father, husband, and I was struggling. I was really overwhelmed, especially in ministry, trying to learn how to lead people. Because it seemed like no matter what I did, somebody had an opinion, somebody was happy, somebody wasn't, and I was struggling. And so I had a friend that was part of the church, not this church, this was uh, earlier in ministry, but I had a friend, uh, he was a leader at the church, he had a lot of wisdom, he was several years older than me and had a lot of life experience uh, in ministry, but also just in the secular world. And so I, I was sharing this with him, and what I expected him to say was, hey, chin up. Keep working hard. Try your best. You're doing all you can. I was expecting kind of this warm hug, you know, of kind words to, they're there, you got this. But that's not what he said. In fact, I remember his question. I wrote it down because it was so poignant then, and I remember it today. He just said, Adrian, who is it that you're trying to please? And I think I said, what? He said, who is it that you're trying to please? And in that moment, I was busted, man. I was, I was busted because I've shared before, I'm a recovering people pleaser. And so in that moment, my friend, his question was helping to reveal something in my heart that needed to be revealed because I was so worried about pleasing every person, making everybody else happy that inside I was miserable. And I probably wasn't even doing what the Lord ultimately wanted me to do. There have been a few other moments like that in my life. Wise words that were spoken, but not easy to hear. The purpose wasn't to harm me, but they were, they were some tough words spoken in love. I think this morning that's what brings you here on a Sunday like this. I, I, I think it, it's what the reason we gather. And this is an important time for us as a church because we are in the season that we call Lent. And Lent means 40 days until Easter. And so we're in the midst of that season. You could say it's, it's the most important season in the life of our church. And so uh, in a season like this, uh, what should be our focus? What is it that we're going to talk about as we prepare, as we journey towards Resurrection Day and celebration of Easter? Well, for us, we've decided across all our campuses, Church of Nazarene, we want to focus in these days, this month of March, on the words of Jesus. But not just any words, because you see, I don't know about you, there's some words of Jesus that I like to hear. They make me feel good. They're fun to hear. It's like that warm hug that I needed from my friend that day. But the truth is, there's also some words that Jesus speaks that are not as easy to hear, are they? We've entitled uh, this series, The Tough Sayings of Jesus, and this is what I want you to hear. As a church, as a church, we don't want to just focus on the words of Jesus that we like to hear. We don't want to just focus on the words of Jesus that are easy to hear. 
We want to focus on the whole truth, all of God's word, all of the things that Jesus said, even when some portions are difficult. And so really over this next month, we're going to venture into some tough words, some words that we might want to skip over from time to time. They might challenge us. They might convict us. They might force us to have to make some changes in our lives. But we want to be the kind of church that is willing to receive the whole truth of God's word, and specifically in this case, the words of Jesus. So turn with me. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 this morning as we begin our series, Tough Words of Jesus. And really, we could summarize, we're going to read the whole passage, we could summarize these tough sayings of Jesus in three words, love your enemies. Love your enemies. This is what it says, Matthew 5, verse 43. These, again, in my Bible, they're red, right? The red letter. This is the words of Jesus. That's where we're at in this series, the words of Jesus. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, verse 43. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Hmm. Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you only greet your own people, what are you doing more than the others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect. And that word perfect in the Greek is teleos. It means growth completion. Jesus is saying, be, be complete, be whole as your heavenly father is complete, is whole. This is the word of the Lord, the words of Jesus for us today. It's no secret if you look historically what's happening uh, in the world as Jesus is, is walking and ministering and as these words are spoken, there are sectors of Judaism that had intense dislike and disdain for, for people they did not like. You can see it throughout scripture, right? The Samaritans, the Romans, the Gentiles. Uh, these feelings that the Jews had created this mindset. And the mindset is articulated by Jesus. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now that's not written anywhere in scripture, is it? So Jesus isn't quoting scripture when he says, you've heard it said. What he's quoting is kind of the, the methodology of the day. <laughs> this is the pattern of the world around you says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But that's why Jesus clarifies, and that's why he begins by saying, no, love your enemy and pray for those, even pray for those who would persecute you. So I guess the question on the table for us this morning is how, how are you doing with your enemies? Where are you today with your enemies? Before, though, we consider how we relate to our enemies, perhaps we should begin, consider how God relates to us. All the way back at the beginning, um, th this is the story of God, right? The story of God revealed to us. Um, and all the way back, way before Jesus shows up, right, in Genesis, we see uh, Adam and Eve in, in creation as it should be in the garden. And Adam and Eve were given authority to rule it and enjoy all that God had created, but they made a decision. They made a choice that they wanted to be in control. They didn't want to just be in relationship with God. They, they really wanted to be God, right? They wanted to call the shots. And in that moment, it's the most famous sin in the history of the world. In that moment, they became God's enemies. They did. They, they opposed 
the things of God. They stood in opposition to God's law, God's command. And in turn, now, move forward, generations and generations, that sin became our inheritance. It's our inheritance today. It's our birthright that we're born with this nature that opposes God. Our, our selfish nature, our sinful nature opposes God. So you can say at the start, God is our enemy. I told you this would be hard to hear, didn't I? <laughs> These aren't fun words of Jesus, but it's true that our nature opposes God in and of itself. And that's why in Romans 5, the Apostle Paul said, if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? In other words, we began as God's enemies, all of us, but, but the story didn't end there, did it? The story doesn't end with, well, we're, we're enemies of God, and, and God's perfect and holy and loving and good and just, and, and we're not. That's not the end of the story, is it? Through Jesus, though we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God. I, I love uh, John Piper, uh, pastor, author. He says this. I think I have it on the screen behind me. He said, God befriended you while you were still his enemy. In that case, he loved his enemy, you. <laughs> so... When Jesus tells us to love our enemies, what he's actually saying is love like God did. Love like God does. Didn't we just sing that? Your love never fails. It never gives up. It never runs out on me. What were we declaring emphatically? The love of God that loved his enemy, including me, including you. See, the truth is we tend to love, uh, we, we tend to love according to what feels reasonable to us, right? Uh, love those who love us. That's pretty good, right? That's pretty easy. Uh, love those who deserve our love. Why would we love those that don't? In our mind, we may not admit it out loud, but in our mind, we kind of calculate the people in our life that deserve our love. We love them. Uh, we tend to build walls and comfort zones and love those that fit into those comfort zones and not love those who don't. Jesus said, anybody can do that. Anyone can do that. Jesus says that the standard of his love must extend beyond the standards of this world. It involves sacrifice. The love that Jesus is talking about, yes, loving your enemies will cost you something. Love your enemies. I realize it doesn't get any easier the more I say it. Here's, here's what it doesn't mean, and we're going to dive a little bit deeper into what it does, but... Here's what this doesn't mean this morning. I think this is really important. Loving your enemies doesn't mean we allow someone to abuse us or abuse someone that we love. Loving your enemy doesn't mean you allow yourself to be a victim. I want to be clear. We talked about this uh, in our relationship series that sometimes we can misinterpret or misuse God's truth and allow a lot of harmful things to happen to us. And that's, that's not the message of Jesus. It's not allowing yourself to be a doormat or a victim. That's not what it means to love your enemy. It also doesn't mean that you just blindly agree with everyone. You rubber stamp everybody's uh, opinion around you. You accept sin. You never stand up for injustice. That's not what Jesus said. In fact, just before the Passover, Jesus clears out the temple because of corruption, because of hypocrisy. So this command to love your enemy doesn't mean you just agree with everything and everyone happening around you. The picture here is the love of God poured out into us. 
We're so filled with his spirit. We're so consumed with his spirit that his love is so poured out into us that it spills out into every person around us. Yes, even our enemies. I love the story of Peter Miller. I didn't know this story, and maybe there's a few historians in the room that might, but I don't think his story is well known. He demonstrated this truth in a powerful way uh, over 300 years ago. Peter Miller was alive during the American Revolution, and he was a pastor. He lived in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. He was highly educated, highly well-known, and deeply connected with other people, including uh, General George Washington, who would stop by and see Peter on his travels. But there was another man, as Peter was a minister and a pastor, there was another man who lived in Ephrata. His name was Michael Whitman. And Whitman did whatever he could to oppose Peter and his church. On one occasion, he showed up on a particular gathering to strike him in the face. I think that's a fancy way for saying he got punched or slapped, right? On another occasion, Peter, pastoring in his church, uh, Michael shows up and he spits on him, even while he was preaching. It's easy to see how Michael became an enemy to many but especially Peter. Well, the story is told that Michael Whitman was uh, charged with treason, and he was sentenced to die a public hanging in Philadelphia for his sins, for his transgressions. The penalty for his sin of treason his, uh, against his government was to die. And so, you can imagine perhaps what the expected response would be of anyone, especially Peter, his enemy. Well, Peter did respond immediately, but maybe not in the way that you would think. Not in the way you would think of somebody that, that spit on you and opposed you and did everything he could to oppose you. Peter began to walk. He traveled 70 miles on foot from his home in Ephrata to Philadelphia to plead the life of this traitor. General Washington, at hearing his request, said this. It's quoted, No, Peter. I cannot grant you the life of your friend. My friend, exclaimed the old preacher, he's my bitterest enemy, the bitterest enemy I have. What? cried Washington. You've walked 70 miles to save the life of an enemy? 70 miles to save a life of an enemy. Well, that puts the matter in a different light. I will grant your pardon. And he did. General Washington was so moved at, at an enemy who would walk 70 miles to beg for the life of one that he granted the pardon. So Peter Miller personally took the pardon another 15 miles to the site where that afternoon, where that afternoon, Whitman would be hanged publicly. The quote was this, that as he arrived that day on the site of the execution, Whitman was quoted as saying, here comes Peter Miller. He's walked all the way here to get his revenge and watch me die. But instead, in his hand, Peter Miller holds a pardon for his forgiveness and his release. The story said that they, that they held each other in, a, in an embrace, a tearful embrace. They walked home all the way together and became the greatest of friends. Hmm. The truth is, this command of Jesus, love your enemy, it brings a lot of joy and it brings burden. We've talked about the joy and that we 
we were God's enemies, yet he loved us. This command of Jesus, we, we should celebrate because, wow, thank you, God, that you're a God who loves your enemies. But we would be lying today, and, and the reason that these are, are the tough words of Jesus is because there's a burden in these words, isn't there? There's a burden in this command. The call to love even our enemies is not an easy call of God. It should challenge us. It should make us uncomfortable, just like the question of what we think should have happened to a traitor like Michael Whitman. One of the greatest illustrations of this, I think, is in the Old Testament, the story of Jonah. Maybe you've, you've grown up and you're familiar with the scriptures. Maybe you've heard the story of Jonah in the Old Testament before. Maybe you're, you're just nominally familiar with it. But, but let me remind you of the story. Jonah, J Jonah in the Old Testament is a man who runs away from God. God says, Jonah, I want you to go love those people in Nineveh. And that may mean nothing to us, but Jonah could not stand the Ninevites. They were his enemy. <laughs> They were the people that he, if, if he chose, you know, a list of those that he didn't love, they would be on the top of his list. And so, in essence, God is saying, Jonah, go love your enemies. I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you in their life. I'm going to use you to transform their lives. Jonah, go love your enemies. But Jonah says, no, I'm not doing that. He runs the other way. He goes and hides. He gets on a ship. I don't know. That, that seemed like the best idea. Let's get as far away from here as I can. And you know the story, right? The wind and the waves come. And Jonah is convinced that this is because of me. And so he's thrown overboard. And he spends the night or a couple nights in the belly of a big fish. It's a fascinating story. What's even more fascinating, though, is that eventually Jonah does go to Nineveh. Eventually Jonah does do what God asks him to do. And God actually works in this, quote-unquote, pagan city where it seems like they're so far from the Lord. God works and moves and redeems, and his grace is sufficient, and he brings healing and wholeness to this community. But Jonah is mad. You would think after all that he's been through, this miraculous God, God restoring him and, and saving him and big fish swallows him up and spits him out and now he goes, you would think finally he would get it. But Jonah doesn't and the reason that we know is because look at what it says in chapter 4, just these first four verses, Jonah chapter 4. But Jonah, to Jonah, man, that's a really important, isn't it? In his mind, according to his standard, according to what seemed right to him, to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He became angry. So he prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall in fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. In other words, Jonah's reminding the Lord, this is why you didn't want to do this. I knew you were compassionate and gracious. I knew you were going to do this, Lord. And he's so miserable. He's so grieved, he's so heartbroken that he'd rather die. 
And the Lord's question and response in verse 4 is so poignant. You can see it on the screen. The Lord replied, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah, I've loved you. Jonah, you don't deserve my love. Jonah, you don't deserve the grace that I've given, but I've loved you. And I've redeemed your life. I've forgiven you when you didn't obey me and you ran the other direction. And I saved your life and I, I used you to bring about this healing and hope. And is it right for you, Jonah, to be angry? You've been dearly loved, Jonah. Is it right for you to be angry at my love for others? Isn't that the question? Isn't that the question the Lord asked Jonah? But I believe it's the question for us today, especially those of us that are tempted to build walls and push people away and decide who is worthy of our love and who is not. The story of Jonah should be a stinging reminder. Wow. You know, the most provoking thing about Jonah's story is we don't know ultimately how he responds. Look again at the story. It just ends. It ends with this cliffhanger kind of question, like, like Jonah is it right for you to be angry? And we don't know how Jonah responds. We would love to think that, yes, he, he finally came to terms with this idea that the reconciling, redeeming love of God, all people are worthy of that, but we don't know. We're intentionally left wondering, how did Jonah respond? It's almost like this story is written and generations and generations later as we read it, it's almost as if it's asking us, how would we respond if we were him? The bottom line today, you've already heard it said, but the bottom line is that we are to love like God loved us. Love like God loved you. That's the words of Jesus. And again, there's joy in that because you have been dearly loved, but there's burden in that, isn't there? Because it's a call to love in ways that will make you uncomfortable. It's a call to love in ways where you think, like Jonah, they don't deserve it but it's a call to love anyway. Love like God loved you. That's really what Jesus is saying. Who is it today that you refuse to love? You may not say it out loud. You may not admit it. You may not even realize it until as we've been talking, but who is it today that you refuse to love? Who is or where is the Nineveh in your life? Where God would point and say, go, love, be obedient to me, be faithful to me. And in your heart, you're angry. Because you say, God, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. Who are the Ninevites in your life? More than likely, you don't have to look far because I believe the Lord will bring people into your life that need his love. He will. There's already people, I'm confident, but if you pray, he'll show you people this week that need your love, even when you would be tempted to turn a blind eye. Last week, I shared a, a powerful story of forgiveness. If you weren't here, I hope you'll go back and watch or listen to last week's message. It was powerful for us in our relationships. Uh, the story was of two men, one a, a cop, and one who was wrongly accused by that cop. He spent four years in prison for a crime he did not commit. And yet, 
he chose to forgive, and there was reconciliation in that relationship. Today's story, I'm going to show you in just a minute, may seem similar in some ways. I believe it's equally as powerful and improbable, but it shows us the power of what happens when we can learn to love our enemies. And perhaps there's a connection between forgiveness and loving our enemies that runs deeper than we might realize. Ray and Jacob's story, I think, is worth sharing today. So take a look. They were the bitterest of enemies. For more than a decade, here on the streets of Milwaukee, two men shared a mutual disgust. One was a hard-nosed cop named Ray Robakowski. I wasn't a social worker. I was a police officer. My job was to take care of what needed to be taken care of. Which is why you didn't like him. Oh, definitely didn't. The other, no. a drug dealer and gangbanger named Jacob Macklin. Jacob got arrested so many times, you can watch him grow old in his mug shots. And it was that career thug and this officer who sat down one day over a cup of coffee. The district attorney's office arranged it. The meeting was to see if cop and criminal could work together and come up with a way to get out of this vicious cycle. But neither guy was buying it. Ray was only here because his boss made him come. And Jacob was tricked into coming, told he had a job interview. So they basically just glared at each other the entire time. What were you thinking? You're going to screw up, and I'm going to find you and put you back. He was dead set on putting you back in jail. Yeah. I'm glad he changed his mind. Well, you changed his mind. Yeah. Eventually, over the next couple months, Jacob proved to Ray that he wanted to get a job and turn his life around. He sent me on maybe 14 or 15 interviews in two weeks. And one of them was Community Warehouse. Community Warehouse is a nonprofit home improvement store that hires ex-cons and teaches them job skills. Which one did they pay for? Jacob started working here eight years ago and is now on the management team. To this day, he can't thank Ray enough. You're grateful? Very, very, very. Oh, man, very. He said very, very at least half a dozen times. Very much so. And as for that very helpful cop, he retired from the police force last year. But you still wanted to work. You wanted a job. Yeah. So who did you turn to for work? Ah, <laughs> Jacob Macklin. <laughs> and he laughed. Now he held the cards. But, um, I mean, I wanted to be here. <laughs> Through Community Warehouse, with his new friend Jacob, Ray has now helped more than a dozen other ex-cons leave their past behind. Is Ray a different guy than he was when you first oh, met Oh, definitely. <laughs> oh, don't say that too loud. Oh, pretty loud. <laughs> Jacob, of course, is equally unrecognizable. Today, his only high-speed chases are around swing sets. He's got four kids and has vowed the cycle stops with him. All proof that if you can find the trust, sometimes your enemies can be your best allies. Steve Hartman, on the road in Milwaukee. Truth is, loving your enemies is hard. It's not easy. It doesn't come naturally to us. It's not in our nature. That's why these words of Jesus are tough words, hard words for us. But time and time again throughout the series, we're going to see the way of Jesus, the call of Jesus, is to not live the way that's easiest to us. But it's the way that's for our good and for his glory. And so today, would you believe somehow that through his power and his strength, 
God would use you to love an enemy. And maybe, maybe you will never understand why or what God does through that act of obedience, but through your obedience to love even that enemy, God can work. And I actually believe, I can say this, he will work. He will work. I, I want to close with a picture on the screen of a target. My only experience with archery was um, a, a YMCA day camp counselor where for an hour I had to try to teach five-year-olds archery. It didn't end well. So uh, I'm not the expert, but, but I know the goal, right? I know the purpose of a target. It's to hit that middle. It's, it's yellow here, right? To get the bullseye, to get it right in the middle as possible that when you get it in that zone, in that sweet spot, you're telling everybody, you're showing everybody, you're taking a picture. You're like, I, I got it. Today, I want to challenge you to think honestly of where you are with the concept of loving your enemies. Are you on target? Are you hitting the bullseye? Are you being obedient to what God has called you to do in every relationship in your life? Where are you on this target? Are you there in the middle? Are you a few rings off? Are probably a few arrows you can't see on the screen there that are laying somewhere in the field. They didn't even make it anywhere close. Today, would you have the courage to ask the Lord, how am I doing? How am I doing at loving my enemies? The band is going to lead us in a song. And as they do, I want you to spend time this morning coming before the Lord, asking him, Lord, how am I doing at loving my enemies? Help me. Help me to be on target with your word, with your word, Jesus. Can I pray for you? Lord, um, we thank you for your word this morning, but our prayer is not just to be hearers of your word. We want to be doers of your word. We want to love like you loved us. So Lord, give us courage. Give us strength. Give us wisdom. Give us the power to love even our enemies. As we spend a few moments being quiet before you, would you reveal to us in love how we are to respond? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. Go ahead and subscribe to our channel for updates and new episodes. And if you have any questions about our church or ministries, go ahead and email us at info at cotnaz.org. Dot org.